Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad to see you, whether, whether you're here or online. Uh, good Sunday to join us. Uh, we're starting a new series. <clears throat> Meaning we take a topic, we talk about it for several weeks. And this series is titled, Ever Wonder Why? And today's specific title is, Why Did God Let It Happen? Uh, a lot of us have been our parents. And um, remember that age when they're, I don't know, three or four or five and all the kids, they just say one, uh, one time after another, why? And you answer them why, and the answer to your answer is why again. And the kids just goes on and on. And we are children of our Heavenly Father, and it's natural for us to ask Him also why. But we're going to dig into some really uh, kind of tough questions. <clears throat> why did God let it happen? We word it this way. Have you ever doubted the goodness of God? Another way I can say it is, sometimes life just not, doesn't feel good. And I think we've all been there at times, haven't we? Whether it's uh, when you lost a job, uh, when your parents got divorced, or um, one of your kids won't talk to you. Uh, it could be something health-wise, you got a negative report from the doctor. Uh, maybe it's not about you, maybe it's about someone you care about. They've got a negative uh, report. Uh, People that die before their time, whatever that we consider that to be. Um, we all probably have lost people. Uh, lost a daughter-in-law, uh, lost a, a, a niece. Um, my father, even at 45, seems too, too young. And when these things happen, it just doesn't seem like God is good. Maybe you're just going through a bout of depression. Uh, if God is good, why, why am I depressed? And maybe it's globally. When you look at... Uh, Situations like wars around the world and, and children that are dying of starvation and uh, sex trafficking and all these things. It just, it's easy to think, or at least to feel like, if God is good, this stuff wouldn't be happening. Now, this is, not, this is an age-old question. We're going to go back and look at a philosopher from 300 years before Jesus. It goes back to, we're going to look at the psalmist a thousand years before Jesus. We could say it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You uh, can imagine Adam and Eve saying, if God was good, he would let us eat of this tree of good and evil, uh, whatever it might be. So here's uh, Epicurus said this, if God is not able to prevent evil, then he must not be all-powerful, but we claim God's all-powerful. So there's evil. God's not willing, maybe he's powerful enough, but not willing to prevent the evil, then he must not be good, because a good God would prevent it. So if God's both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does, God, does evil exist? And so we might think that, that evil, pain, and suffering are kind of sidelights to the Scripture, but I believe that they're central to Scripture. And as we look at this, even as we get to look at the cross, uh, that's pretty clear. So here's my summary statement. Christianity makes sense of, that's, next slide please, makes sense of, gives meaning to, and most importantly, offers a solution for the evil and suffering that we experience. So we can look at all the major characters of Scripture. Thought about Jeremiah. He's called the, the weeping prophet. He, his heart was broken because the people were singing, sinning and not uh, serving, obeying God. And uh, punishment for that was they carried off into captivity. Um, 
could be David, a man after God's own heart. And you read some of the Psalms and he's just struggling with the fact that, God, bad things are happening. Uh, John the Baptist, New Testament, uh, preaching about forgive, uh, repentance and forgiveness. He's proclaiming the Messiah's coming, uh, Jesus. Then he gets arrested. And you think, well, Jesus cared and Jesus was good and he loved John the Baptist. He would somehow get him out of prison, right? But what happens to John? He gets beheaded. And I'm sure for his disciples and his followers, that sure didn't feel good, did it? Who knows who Asaph is? A couple of people in the first service knew who he was. Anybody know who Asaph was? All right. Ever read the Psalms? There's 12 Psalms attributed to Asaph, and he's described as a kind of a choir director in the temple. So he's a spiritual guy, mature spiritual guy. And uh, we're going to look at one of his Psalms, Psalm 73. And he's going to be struggling with some of these same questions. What does God know? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Is he aware? Is he just kind of, you know, distracted by something and he's not aware of what's going on down here on earth? Especially he's concerned about one specific thing. And maybe it's something that concerns you too. Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. So if it ever bothered you that, that, that evil people have gotten prosperous and rich and just seem to be enjoying life and things be, seem to be going well for them. And he contrasts that with himself. So he's serving God in the temple. He's choir director, etc. He said, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? So I've been trying to be good. <laughs> I've been trying to resist evil and temptation. Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? So I've been trying to serve you, God. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. And my life isn't going so well. And these evil people seem to be doing fine. In fact, he describes it this way. I get nothing but trouble all day long. Sounds like he's pretty depressed. Every morning brings pain. So we talk about Christianity. We talk about faith. I don't believe faith is about having all the answers and have it all figured out. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. It's when we're willing to ask, ask these tough questions and then by faith accept the answer or partial answers or maybe we don't even know the answers. So we're going to tackle some questions this morning. <laughs> First off, if God is loving, then why would he allow suffering? I love my wife. I wouldn't want her to suffer. Those of you who are married, those of you who are parents, you don't want your kids to suffer, do you? Because you love them. Well, if God loves us, then why would he allow suffering? So here's my take on the, this subject, if you will. If love is a choice, is love a choice? My wife had a choice, chose to love me, I chose to love her, etc. Right? Love is a choice. We all would accept that, right? then suffering is a possibility. <clears throat> because where there's love, there's loss. And when we have loss, it's painful, right? We suffer. If anyone, any of you have lost a loved one, uh, it's painful. Why? Because you love them and now you don't have a relationship with them anymore. Uh, especially if, again, if it was um, when they died when they were younger or, or didn't live a full life. Uh, so if I can choose to love you, I can also choose to hate you. 
If I can choose to do good to you, I can choose to do evil to you. So why do, what do we call this? Well, we call it free will, or the Bible calls it free will, right? We have the freedom to choose. That's a capability God has given us. And consequently, I can choose positive, or I can choose negative. I can choose good, or I can choose bad. We all do that at times, don't we? So the next question is, why did God give us free will? Why did he just let, let us not able to choose? Why did he give Adam and Eve that choice in, in the garden? Because love is only possible if we have choice. Choose to love or choose not to love. I put it on your outline this way. He gave us free will because he didn't want a robot. He didn't want some, us to be forced to love him. He wanted us to choose to love him. So he wanted to have a relationship with us. The first thing we teach kids is God is love. Not that he's loving, but he is love. That's his nature. He can't do anything else but love. But he gives us the choice. And consequently, if we can choose good, we can choose evil. And what do we call it when we choose evil? Uh, scripture calls it sin. And whenever there's sin, there is suffering, unfortunately. So choose evil, choose, choose wrong. God calls it sin, and where there's sin, there's always suffering. So the only way to remove this or solve this or change this would be either to not give us choice, meaning we'd be robots, forced to love God, or remove us completely from the equation. That's the only way. More questions then. If there is no God, some people don't believe there is, then who decides there is evil? Let me give you kind of a silly illustration. How many of you have siblings? My granddaughter said she had siblings. All right. Most of you had siblings. Let me ask you, did you, you and your siblings fight? Uh, rhetorical question, right? <laughs> Nobody needs to answer that. Actually, I have a sibling here, my sister, one of my sisters. Anyway, so as siblings, we argue, we fight, we don't get along sometimes, and we want to run to our parents and say, <clears throat> what? It wasn't right. They were wrong. We run to our parents. Now, who decides? When you are squabbling with your siblings, who decides who's right and wrong? Who gets disciplined? My mom just get, would get frustrated and she'd just discipline us all. <laughs> Make sure she got the right one. Yeah. Right? Where are you, man? <laughs> yeah, there you are. <laughs> so, imagine there's no parents. So you're squabbling with your siblings. Who's deciding? You have no moral authority making those decisions, right? So consequently, if you're deciding there's evil in the world, you're deciding there's a moral authority deciding between good and evil. And we call that person God. So on your outline, I put it this way. If there's no God then who decides there's evil? The fact that we believe there's evil and suffering is more proof that there is a God than that there's not. Does that make sense? <laughs> Hopefully it does. Now, some people say this, I put it on your outline. If you suffer, that means God doesn't love you. It's kind of an Old Testament theology, right? Uh, God, <clears throat> people that think good things were happening to God loved, and when bad things happened to people, they felt God didn't love them. 
So one thing we can say for sure is the fact that <clears throat> you and I suffer is no indication of God's love or lack thereof. Let me try and illustrate this. How many of you had surgery of one kind or another? Surgery. Was it painful? Painful, right? They numb you up sometimes and give you <laughs> anesthesia, but after you come out of it, it's still, it's painful, right? Now, does that mean the doctor hated you and he just wanted to cause you pain? Just the opposite, right? He wanted to make you have, feel better, have less suffering. <clears throat> How many of you are in physical therapy? I've done a lot of physical therapy in recent years. You get older, right? Is it painful? Yes, it is. All right. Does that mean your physical therapist hated you and they just wanted to cause you pain? Of course not. They wanted what was best for you. You don't need to answer, but many of us have been in counseling, right? You're in counseling. The, the counselor brings up stuff that is painful, right? Does that mean your counselor hates you? Of course not. And then many of us are parents. Did you ever cause your children pain? Uh, we were back in the paddling ages <laughs> when we were growing up. But I don't know about some of the others of you, but part of the parent's job is to discipline you. And discipline is what? Painful. Right? But why? Why do all these people do all these things? Because they want something better for you, better health for you, better relationships for you. And as parents, we want our kids to grow up to be mature, responsible people, right? So I put on your outline, the presence of real pain is evidence of real love. And the writer of Hebrews states it this way. For the Lord disciplines those he what? Loves. All right? Just like parents Discipline the children that they love. And he corrects each one he takes as his own. Now, we have a choice of our response to discipline, don't we? We might say, yeah, I deserve this. Um, yeah, kind of resign to it. Often our response is what? This is not right. This is unfair. I don't deserve this. Or have sewing a pity party for yourself. You ever tell your parents you hated them? Probably most of us have done that. If we didn't say it out loud, we probably thought it at times, right? So we get to choose our response. But discipline is proof of love, not proof of not love. Proof of not love, whatever that. All right, in some way, we, normal question, way we hear this big question is this way. Why do bad things happen to good people? Ever said that? Ever thought that? Probably all of us have. And we, well, we, we know that nobody's perfect, right? But these are pretty good people. We say they have a good heart. If you, if you needed something, they would help you. But let me back up a little bit. Do you and I have good, uh, good hearts? This is really important. What does this book tell us about our hearts? Let me give you a verse out of Jeremiah again. The heart is, bring it up please, deceitful above all things. Not very pleasant, right? Your heart, my heart, is deceitful. And even more depressing is it's beyond cure. We can't make it not deceitful, right? We can't make it good. And who can understand it? But that's the reality. So, we might do good things, but ultimately, deep inside, we're deceitful. In fact, if you knew some of the things I've done, if you knew some of the things I've thought, especially, 
You wouldn't want me to be your pastor. And probably if I knew some of the things you've done, some of the things you have thought, I wouldn't want you to be my friend, would I? Jesus put it this way, if you lust after a woman, I think I've probably done that at least once, then I've committed adultery. Only once, dear, only once. Uh, um, if I've ever had hate in my heart, Jesus said I've ki killed. We've all lied. We've all probably stolen something. We've all cheated. We've all, you know, been jealous and gossip. The, the list is almost endless, right? So, our hearts aren't good. So it's kind of a wrong premise when we say, why do bad things happen to good people? I know what you mean. People that are generally good. So, something did happen to somebody that was good. Something terribly bad happened to someone who was perfectly good only one time. And that was Jesus, and he volunteered for it, as amazing as that is. So what did God do for us? Let's take it from God's perspective first. He saw the tragedy of mankind separated from him, the creator. And he didn't want us to be separated from him. He wanted to, us to be able to have a relationship with him. And the only way he could do that was to send his only son to earth. <clears throat> so he said, son, sorry, you're going to have to leave heaven. Go down there to earth. And so he was physically, at least, separated from his son. And then what happens? He's going to have to watch his son be treated terribly, betrayed, uh, beaten, uh, whipped, eventually carrying a cross up to, uh, to Golgotha, and nails driven his hand and feet, and hung there for nine hours, and died. That's what God had to, had to do, had to experience, so that you and I might have an opportunity to have a relationship for him. On Jesus' side, he had perfect fellowship with the Father. Up until when? That last hour on the cross. And what did he say? He, 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 we have a why question from Jesus himself. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? I've done nothing wrong. And so the greatest pain to him and his father was to be separated from each other. So, again, why would God allow suffering? Your specific suffering. My specific suffering. Why would he allow it? And I don't know the specific answer to your suffering. I just know this. It's not because he doesn't love us. Probably the most familiar verse in Scripture is John 3.16 because if, for the reason that is such a powerful message. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world, meaning people in the world, you and I, that he even gave his one and only son. Those of you who have children, can you imagine sacrificing one of your children? We have four. But if I only had one, and I was going to sacrifice that only one, why? So that whoever, you and I, whoever, believes and trusts in him as Savior, shall not perish, shall not be separated from God, but have eternal life. Another question, why was God willing to let his son suffer and die? Why was he willing? 
He knew something better was coming. He knew that because of Jesus' sacrifice, millions of people have a relationship with Almighty God and spend eternity in heaven with Him. It'd be interesting when we get there one day to see how many people are actually there. One way to think about it is this. It takes a death to have a resurrection, right? Jesus told this illustration about a seed has to be planted and die to, to produce new life. So we have to have hurt, whether it's from that surgeon, a physical therapist, or from a counselor, or from a parent. We have to have hurt to have healing, to get a place where there's something better. And those of us who are Jesus followers, if you're not, we're delighted that you're here or joining us. What's, gonna, what's, what's the better waiting for us? One of my favorite verses in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. Every funeral I ever do, I use this verse. He, God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. How many tears have you shed in your lifetime because of pain and suffering? There'll be no more death. A lot of the pain and suffering comes from death of loved ones, doesn't it? There'll be no more sorrow or crying or no more pain. All these things are gone forever. So does the Bible say we're not going to have pain and suffering? There's a teaching out there that says, you know, the closer you are to God, the, the better, your, easier your life's going to get. Well, let me ask you something. What happened to Jesus? So, when we've lost loved ones, when we've had relationship issues with our children, with our, each other. <clears throat> Pain and suffering. But someday, it'll all be over. Here's this thing that some people do in church. Let's see. God is good, and the church responds all the time, all the time. God is good. Right. So let's get back to Asaph, and we'll finish up with him. All right, so he had this dilemma. He's asking these why questions. The evil people are prospering, and he's struggling, trying to be as faithful as he can. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But it was a difficult task. It is. I don't, I don't know the answer. I, he couldn't find an answer. Um, he goes on. Then, all right, so here's the turning point. Then... I went into your sanctuary. You went into the temple, all right? Oh, oh God. And I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Say, so, okay, I'm looking short term. They're wicked, they're prospering right now, but what's their destiny? Ah, they're doing well now, they're going to suffer later. And then he realized something about himself. Then I realized that my heart was bitter. He was resentful. And I was all torn up inside. I'm just, uh, my stomach tied in knots. Just, just concerned about the wicked prospering. He said, and I was foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a, a senseless animal or a dumb ox to you. They got, I was concerning myself about the wicked prospering. <clears throat> and then he goes on. Yet, 
I am always with you, Almighty. And you hold my right hand. Parents, when your kids were little toddlers and you were crossing the street, what did you make sure you did? Held that hand, right? Because toddlers like to run off. And you don't want something bad to happen to them. So that's the, what I picture when I say, God has got me by his right hand. We talked recently about he guides us with his counsel. He gives us wisdom. And then afterwards, what happens? We get to go into glory. We get to go and meet him. So, next verse. A verse that's more familiar, probably the most familiar verse in this, in this chapter. Whom have I in heaven but you? And I pray that you could say this with the psalmist. I desire you, God, more than anything on earth. Those of us are getting older. I think it's easier for us to say this. Earthly things seem to have less appeal or attraction to us. We enjoy them, but we realize they're all going to be left here behind, right? We're going to go something better. His case, his health was failing. And those of us that are older, older can say that too. And my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. So I started off by saying this. Christianity makes sense of, gives meaning to, and offers a solution for the evil and suffering that we experience. It's amazing to me that God suffers when you and I suffer. He hurts when you and I hurt. Because that's what happens when you love, right? And I think about what our pain and suffering I, I have had in my life. And the question I hear some people ask, and I think it's so wise, is would I want somebody else to do it instead of me? Would I want somebody else to suffer the things I've suffered? No, I would never want anybody else to take those sufferings. But I pray that God has used it in my life to draw me closer to him and make me more like Jesus. And I always need to remember there's something better coming. So here's my challenge for you this week. Spend some time in God's presence, whether it's in the temple, in your quiet time at home, wherever it might be, And dwell on his goodness. Oh, we're so, com so easy for us to complain, right? Just dwell, think about, and thank God for his goodness. I pray that you would do that this week. Let me pray with you now. Uh, Father God, we're like dumb oxes. We complain and we ask these questions, why? And we wonder if you're really good. And It's, it's, it's kind of silly, right? If you would sacrifice your only son for us, you wouldn't withhold anything good. And discipline is a sign of love. When we sit back and think about it, we all realize that, we understand that. So God, you do what you needed to do, as painful as it was for you and your son, so we could be in relationship with you. Now, just now, and even into eternity. So we pray for any that are here, anybody that's listening or watching, 
It's not a Jesus follower. Today would be the day that you understand how greatly you are loved, even to the point of a sacrificing an only son, so that you can be in relationship with Almighty God. We pray the day would be the day you would accept that gift, confess your sins. Yes, I have a deceitful heart. God, please <laughs> change it. Change me. All you have to do is say yes, Jesus. And your life will be transformed here and for eternity. Father God, we pray for anyone that's maybe struggling with that decision, that they would follow through with that. And anyone that would make that decision, as they reach out to you, they would reach out to us. You describe that as being newborn. And newborns need tender care. And that's the purpose of the church, to care for those who are newborn in the faith, to grow into mature believers. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for what you're doing here. Continue to speak the remainder of the service for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.